February the 22nd, 2015, uh, lecture uh, discussion uh, number 187 on the Book of Romans. I have a bunch of things to get out of the way today. Those of you on the internet, you asked me about Bill the Cow, and uh, Bill the Cow has a, he built a, a camper, a motor, not a motor home, but a pull behind a trailer, essentially in the shape of a rocket ship, and he is, of course, an incredible craftsman, and, um, and the Travel Channel is going to feature him. So those of you who wanted to find out how weird cliffside people actually are, here's your chance to go to Atomic Camper on Facebook, and you will see w one of us, and now you'll be able to extrapolate the problems that the rest of us have, just simply by doing that. And I know that that would be something you would want to know. Okay, I need to begin by letting everyone know that I have been struggling with a prolonged illness, uh, which is why I was unable to make it last Sunday, the first time in my so-called career, almost 18 years, that I have missed a lecture. And in fact, I go past, I go much further back uh, because I used to do uh, lectures uh, before I began this church dynamic thingy here that we do. So uh, many, many years I have never been sick and missed something, missed a, uh, a lecture for sickness. I've missed it for other things, but not for this. So uh, I had a pretty bad illness, and it's uh, still got me a little bit, but uh, that's why I was unable to make it last Sunday. And uh, as I said, I'm still not that well. You ask, how can we tell the difference? Well, just trust me. Um, uh, so uh, I want you to stay away from me today. We're going to see how far I get. Maybe I'll answer one question. Uh, Bill the Fast, uh, as opposed to Bill the Cow, for those of you keeping score, he called and suggested that we provide masks and hazmat suits for everyone here today as a safety precaution. And naturally, when he called me and told me that, I thought the idea had fantastic merit. Uh, and as I want to do, I considered the obvious questions. For example, if masks were a good idea today, uh, then are they also a good idea next week? And then, of course, are they always a good idea then? And you all said, yes, I can hear you. Yes, they are. Are masks, by the way, enough? Because it's just a small mask. Maybe paper bags would be more appropriate. We could... We could have the uh, ushers uh, hand out paper bags. So then we'd need a committee, right? The church committee, the, the Cliffside Paper Bag Determination Committee. And so I imagine the advertising potential of all of that. Come visit Cliffside Community Chapel, where everyone has a hazmat suit on. And some have a paper bag over their head, as determined by a select committee, all for your sake and protection. Now, who could resist such a considerate church? And I determined that everybody could resist it, as usual. Anyway, lots of stuff has happened since we came together a couple weeks ago. As you know, pretty serious stuff. Egyptian Christians have been beheaded by Islamic State terrorists for the reasons that they were Christians. The Jews... I said a few weeks ago the Jews are beginning, and Bill brought up uh, the Prime Minister of Israel telling the European Jews, look, this is problems. Last time this happened, you stayed in Europe. Reconsider that uh, option. And he encouraged them to move to Israel. But Jews are also fleeing now Yemen which is rapidly collapsing into a non-functioning anarchy, I believe. I think that's what's going to occur, and that means they're going to join Libya. And both, I think, I predict, will be eventually completely seized by Islamic State collaboration uh, movements. And so the Middle East is, is burning, and it's only a matter of time before it explodes. Europe is in economic and political disarray as well, simultaneously. And, and so where is the structure, where is the, where is the glue here, if you want to use an analogy? 
because the United States now is aimless. It's drifting without purpose. The United States has no focus. It's rudderless right now. We all know that. That's not a surprise. That's what's happened. I don't think there's any controversy there. In my lifetime, I have observed the acceleration of the moral decay of the United States, and I think it's unprecedented uh, in the history of this country. I'm saying that the United States is breaking. As expected, any student of prophecy would expect the United States to break. Certainly, the United States is going to be one of the countries that abandons the nation of Israel. And that's going to be the case because uh, the breaking of the morality of this country is the abandonment of its fundamentals. I am old enough to remember Khrushchev. Don't raise your hand if you remember Khrushchev beating on a table with a shoe because that will identify you of a certain age category. That's the category where people, telemarketers, call you because they think you're now uh, susceptible. But I remember Khrushchev beating on his shoe, screaming that the United States would disintegrate, that they would be buried. And the point was is that we would, we would morally disintegrate. And then the Soviet Union of its time would seize control of the world. And that, of course, was a communist regime. And we all knew back in those days what communism was. Communism is no longer well known. In fact, it has almost reached acceptance, I believe, if I am correct. And, of course, I am. That's a joke. We have elected a mayor of New York City that is an open, professed communist. Now, if I had told my father that, who died at the age of almost 91 that in my lifetime a communist would be the mayor of New York City. He would never have believed me. That could not happen. But it has happened. And I, as you know from previous weeks, I'm telling you this is an exciting time for Christians to be alive because we are watching these things happen and they are unprecedented events. And they have great spiritual Biblical significance. It was known in my time when I was a younger man that the goal of communist propaganda was to humiliate people. It was not to persuade or convince anybody of anything. We all knew that. And what, I, what was meant by that is that historically, uh, communism is married to atheism, as you know. And his atheistic communism intentionally produced propaganda that had no relationship to reality. It was completely untrue, and it was designed to be untrue. That was the point of it, that it was untrue. Because, you see, when people are forced to accept obvious lies without protesting them, they begin to, dis- to demonstrate moral failure. Let me repeat that. When people are forced to accept obvious lies, they disintegrate morally. And the communists understood that. That was the point of atheism. Atheism is an immoral concept, an immoral philosophy. Moral people will resist it. So the way I destroy morality is to force people to accept obvious lies. When I do that, I begin the moral failure of those people. And the next phase then, it was obvious and more so insidious. It was to force the people who you got to accept the lies to begin to do what? Do you remember? Did you ever take these classes in schools? See, the gener- my generation is vanishing, right? The next step is to force the people that you uh, ex- got to accept the lies, then you force them to repeat the lies. And you force them to repeat the lie and pretend that it's true. Because the goal isn't to have anything to do with truth. The goal is to humiliate. When they accept the obvious lie without protesting and they repeat the lie, pretending they believe it, then they lose all sense of goodness. And that is the point of atheistic propaganda. 
and the very reasonably famous quote that I'll quote here, to assent to obvious lies is to become evil oneself. That was something everyone knew. Not the case anymore. And I submit that the United States is seeing the inevitable results of assenting to obvious lies. And that, by the way, is what the Bible says at the end of the age of the Gentiles is going to happen. Now, (coughs) because I was sick for the last ten days or so, almost two weeks, just in case you get this, let me tell you, it's wheels on the bus go round and round. That's what it is. You, you can't do anything. You're, the room spins. You close your eyes to sleep. The room still spins. It is not much fun. Is it, Becky? It is not. It's brutal. And you just sit in your chair and moan. And if you have dogs, they wake you up at 5.30 in the morning because that's your job. And they don't care. And I'd lay in bed and I had night sweats. It looked like somebody just hosed me off. And so my dogs at six or so in the morning, it's time for them to go outside and they don't care. They are not medical professionals. They see me as the source of opening doors and opening cans and turning on water. That's my role and I'm failing them because I'm shivering so bad. So I would flop myself out of bed and crawl to my uh, uh, pajamas, essentially, and my sweat clothes, which sweat really applied, and I'd take them outside. Well, so now I have to do something besides just sit there. So what do you suppose I did? I make it a habit of reading letters to the editor, because I understand letters to the editor. When you write something down, that is angry or hateful, that's a step. A lot of people think it. Nowadays, we have these magnificent things. Okay, they're not magnificent at all. We have book face where people, and we have tweeters, right? I know what they are. I just don't want to give them any credibility. People will take and write the most horrible things and send it out there. That is a significant step. You don't want to be that person that does that. Think it, if you will, but stop. Remember, assenting to lies. Anyway, I want to know what people who will write letters will think. So, and I want to know uh, what the what certain kinds of people. Will write. So I'm reading the letters to the editors in the New York Times. I don't know if you've ever done it. I would recommend it heartily. And it, th- those letters are overwhelmingly from people who are monistic in their philosophy. And the, the people who read the New York Times are monistic. And thus the letter writers reflect such. Anyway, I, I make it a habit to read these kind of things to remain informed of the thought process of the people who absolutely want to tell me, and people who think like I believe, that they uh, despise what I believe, and therefore they despise me. In other words, I want to read what people who are willing to publicly announce it will write. I find it quite informative. I think it is a sign of the times. That's why. Anyway, one such letter began like this. I'm bringing it to you today because it took me at least (coughs) four or five hours before I could get myself to write. And this is uh, where I ended up today. Anyway, one such letter began by proclaiming that he and his friends have three things that are tenets, that are fundamental beliefs that he wished to declare as evidence of his correct thinking. He said this, he said, we believe in evolution. We believe in, let me find myself, anthropogenic climate change or anthropogenic global warming. And then the last one. 
We believe in abortion. Then he began to talk about what else he believed. But those established his bona fides, you see. That was his first sentence. We believe in abortion, we believe in man-caused climate change, and we believe in evolution. Actually, abortion without restriction. I didn't get the order right. We believe in evolution, we believe in man-caused climate change, and abortion without restriction. Now, I know that those three positions are inexorably linked. I know that those who are steadfast to any of these three uh, ultimately become immovable in the remaining two. In other words, if you believe this, eventually you will believe this and this, and you will be as rigid in these two as you are here. It is almost like a hardening process that you can watch as it's occurring. And having long known this to be the case, I went about uh, some time ago fig- trying to figure it out, to dissect the commonality between the three positions as well as the anatomy. What I mean by anatomy is the progression of steps. There's a step stone process that makes me go from here to here to here. How does one come to desperately cling to evolution, man-caused climate change, and abortion without restriction? How and why do so many people choose to believe this? Where did it come from? How do they get here? And what happens to them? That interests me because I see it as a sign of the times. Obviously, I see it as repeated lies. That's why I brought up communist or atheistic propaganda. Obviously, we have Romans 124 through 25. When people exchange the truth of God for the lie, they descend into a debased mind. And I realize, as you know, that the lie is an antichrist reference. Most of the time when you see the lie, it is talking about a person. The person, the antichrist in the Bible. Teach yourself to find it that way. But it, the principle stands as uh, not capitalized, if you will. Assent to obvious lies will result in a debased mind. That is a sign of the times that people will assent to obvious lies and they will be humiliated by it and they will lose all sense of probity or goodness. So, what is the central connective tissue between evolution, anthropogenic climate change, Abortion without restriction. What is the resemblance? Well, to me it is pretty clear. If you take evolution, what is evolutionary philosophy? Evolutionary atheism. Primarily it is a what? It is a death-based system. What I mean by that is death is the preeminent characteristic of evolutionary atheism, evolutionary philosophy. It is the predominant characteristic. In evolutionary philosophy, that which devours and kills with the most efficiency is the highest form of life. The most advanced, the most successful, the most evolved. Atheistic philosophy likewise declares death to be supreme. Does it not? Of course it does. The atheistic philosophy declares physical death to be unconquerable. It cannot be defeated. There's no solution to it. It is the end of all things. So I have supremacy of death in evolution. I have supremacy of death in atheism. Oops, I'm getting ahead of myself. I would expect that evolution... Oh, that noise is me bending over. I would assume that atheism and evolution 
would find each other, when would seek each other out. The thought processes both declare death to be supreme. The most effective killers would be side by side with death as the ultimate event. And both elevate the death process. One is a means of development, evolution. The other is a means of power, atheism. So the, so also the abortion industry, right? And it is an in- industry. It's a business. Never escape that obvious condition. It is a culture of death. It's what it sells. Abortion sells death. So it has an economic element to death. And it's a celebratory, it celebrates death. Killing is a solution to the abortion industry. Choosing death is held up as a virtue to be admired. But I just want you to see that evolution and abortion are united in death. So I would expect that if you have this position in philosophy, you will end up in here. Man caused climate change is a little bit more nuanced, but but it is the same. What is it? What is the purpose of it? It is behavioral control. And you understand when you see people who want to control you that the ultimate control that can be exerted by someone over another is the imposition of death. So, when I want control, then I am rapidly heading back to death. Man caused climate change at its height is a behavioral system. The zenith of behavioral control is the imposition of death. That's why we should resist governments that want to control the medical systems, as a political analogy for you. And as you know, anthropogenic or man-caused global warming is a political concept. And when science adheres itself to politics, uh, as science has adhered itself to politics with respect to climate change, it ceases to be science. When science is attached to politics, it becomes only politics. Politics always destroys science. So therefore, if you take a class in political science, You have taken a class that is in contradictory terms. It is an oxymoron. So I I want you to beware in these times of those who seek power to control. Beware of people who do it in churches. That is where I see it at its worst. Beware of people who do it in politics. Run away from those who lust for control, who see themselves as most as the most able, the most qualified to control you. Anyone who stands in front of a pulpit and tells you that he has authority over you is dangerous. Very dangerous. I've heard them all. I have heard pastors stand up and tell people to sell their motor homes because you're missing too much church and you need to give that money to me. And I'm astonished that, that that one is preached and two it's followed. Christians should never fall for something so ridiculous as that. Somebody, when I heard that, they asked me, what would you have done had you been there regularly? I, I said, I would have said to everybody around me, run for your life. Anyone who tells you to sell your motor home and give me the money and so that you can come to church on Sundays instead of fishing in Alaska has already disqualified himself as being a pastor. And you should run from him. If he can't produce a church service that people want to come to, well, maybe he should look in the mirror. But the control-based stuff is profoundly dangerous. I'm going to tell you it's pathological, it's obviously narcissistic, it's ultimately destructive, it's wicked. And remember that those who believe themselves to be the wisest are always the fools. Somebody starts telling you how wise he is, time to be nervous. 
So anytime somebody starts with, I believe in evolution, climate change, and abortion, recognize the contrast to Scripture. Evolution equals death. Climate change is a control system. Control system ultimately is slavery. Abortion is death. So I have death, slavery, and death. That's what I've got. And the man that wrote that, we believe in death, slavery, and death, had no idea what he was writing. He was assenting to something, wasn't he? He had been made to agree to three obvious lies. And he was repeating them now. And his condition is desperate. The Bible says what? Does the Bible say death, slavery, and death? No. Your Bible says resurrection, freedom, eternal life. It is the absolute opposite of evolution, climate change, and abortion. People who tell you that evolution is compatible. I'm watching our politicians. They're asking them questions. What do you think of evolution? All you have to say is, I do not believe that when I cease to, or that when I physically die, that I will cease to exist. I do not believe that. But they won't. Somebody is bringing us pizza. Is that you, Christopher? No? Wow, maybe it's somebody from the internet sending us pizza, because I ask a lot. If they ask me, what can we do to help Cliffside? I say, send us pizza. And donuts. Is it for us, Matt? I did not order it, sir, but uh, if you have no place for it to go, we will gladly take it. What's that? I'm sorry, I can't hear you at all. Oh, he did. He paid with a credit card. Is it out of state by any chance? We'll celebrate. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> I can always dream that uh, that it'll happen every Sunday. Those of you on the Internet, uh, uh, I shouldn't be so obvious, should I? I shouldn't seek to control you. <laughs> it is pizza. I used to ask for donuts too, but didn't I? Did I say that? Do I have a friend named London? I do not. I, we have people who listen to us from London. Does that count? What address is he after here? Hmm. Well, I. Uh, semi, uh, assimilation is always an option here. So is donation. You know, we can, we can try. Anyway, where was it? Let's go. Just know that evolutionary think, thought process and philosophy is a death-based philosophy. The Bible is a life-based philosophy. You, that's all you have to say. You just have to say to the, the media folks that put the microphone in front of your face, I do not have a death-based philosophy. Evolution is death. Okay, where was it? Last week, we read Jeremiah 12, 1 through 9 on February 8th, lecture number 186. So let me read at least a couple of verses of it to remind everybody. And then uh, we'll get uh, about answering one question today. Zechariah 12, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens. Remember where we've been here? Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens. Very important verse in the Bible, stretching out the heavens. Let me put it up here. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens. Notice the tense. Or if you want to think universe, stretches out the universe. That makes you feel more comfortable with it. Lays the foundations of the earth. Lays the foundations. And three, 
and forms the spirit of man, forms the living soul of man. And I have been saying over the previous weeks that these three have a relationship. They're our side, if you will. They're the opposite of evolution, anthropogenic, global warming, and abortion. The absolute polar opposite. That's why they become important to us. So, thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, again, though the, all nations of the earth are gathered against it. <coughs> so, I said a few weeks ago, these three things are coupled to... These three things are coupled to the saving of Israel. And I said the saving of Israel, if you were here is the great sign. If you're looking for a sign in the Bible, if you go home tonight and you say, please, God, give me a sign. Here's your sign. The great sign of the saving of Israel by God Himself. Jesus Christ, God Himself, is going to save Israel because He alone stretches out the heavens. These are things that He does alone. That is the connective tissue of all of them. So he alone stretches out the universe. He lays the foundations of the earth. He forms your living soul. And he saves Israel by himself. So that's why they become very, very important, right? And notice that the stretching out of the universe, the laying of the foundation of the earth, and the forming of our souls are right in front of the great sign of saving the nation of Israel. So somehow these three things belong in front of the great sign of saving Israel, where Jesus Christ again, let me repeat it, Creator God manifested in the flesh, God Himself coming to save His nation of Israel. That is the great sign of saving Israel. Um, Marie was talking to me earlier. Marie doesn't have a nickname for those of you on the Internet. Marie, no nickname. Marie came to me and said that uh, he was at a lecture recently. And how did he put it exactly? Uh, he said, oh, he said that uh, God raised Jesus from the dead. Absolutely true. God did raise Jesus from the dead. You could say it this way. Jesus raised Jesus from the dead. It is exactly the same as saying God raised Jesus from the dead. Or you could say Jesus raised God from the dead. It's the exact same thing as God raised Jesus from the dead. Or if you wish, you could say God raised God from the dead. They're all the exact same thing. Bonnie is covering her face in the front row. She thinks this is, I'm spitting that far, am I? No. Okay. Precautions. Well, maybe next week we'll have this queen up here. Um, if I don't get any better. My point is, is that God, Jesus are interchangeable words. If you understand that God raised God from the dead, because Christ is in the triune Godhead. He is the triune Godhead, as well as God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. All of them are the, there's a sameness, a oneness. If you stand up there and say, God raised Jesus, and you think God is different from Jesus, then you've got problems. You are blaspheming. Does that make sense? You are a heretic. That's strong words from a one-eyed fat man, I know. Bold talk. But that's it. Did I tell you I had a guy come up to visit me this last summer? Uh, Bob is his name. He was disappointed that I was not one-eyed. But he did agree that I was a fat man, and so that kind of kind of worked it all out. Anyway, he was wonderful. He is wonderful. He's a very funny man. Most of the internet people are. 
Okay, now, so I have this great sign of the saving of Israel that, that these must be in front of, and there's this God doing it all alone, right? Got all that so far? Now, so the great sign of saving Israel, let me reword it, is directly connected to the motion of the universe. The stretching out of the universe is the motion or the movement of the universe. We know the universe is moving. It is also directly connected to the foundations, and we've got to figure out what that means. What are the foundations of the earth? And it's also uh, connected to the spiritual reality. I ask all the time, you have a soul, you have a spirit, you have a mind. What are they made of? Where is the spirit-soul-mind manufacturing facility? How did it get into your body? How did your spiritual component get into your body, and how does it control your body or your brain? Your mind and your brain, there's a difference. So all of that is now where we're headed. And it's all connected, as you may think, because I have said the definitions of things stop thinking of physical definitions. Remember, I asked a while back, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents, right? What is a talent? It is not a physical act or a physical ability. It is a spiritual definition. I asked again, okay, uh, what is ability? Remember that, that the talents were dispensed based on ability. And I said ability is not a physical event or characteristic. It's non-physical. These have spiritual definitions. God is spirit. His definitions are spiritual. I'm going to say the same thing to you again. Oh, by the way, before I do, wicked is not a physical act. It is a spiritual thought process. Lazy is not mowing your grass. It is a spiritual condition. We've been covering that. Now I'm going to say to you, foundations. Are they physical? Are the foundations of the earth a physical defined element? The determining factor is the spiritual emphasis on all of those things, the spiritual perspective. The talents are spiritually based. Abilities is a spiritual situation, if you will, for lack of a better term. As is wicked and lazy, as is the foundations of the earth. All of them are spiritual. Clearly, the forming of souls is spiritual. So, what is he saying? What is the understanding, the wisdom, the information back here? These are spiritual things. Ooh, that fell over. What is the information given by the Lord Master in those three parables? And that one specifically. What is the spiritual information or the spiritual wisdom? And based on what spiritual condition? So that solves that for you. How then is the stretching out of the universe and the laying of the foundations of the earth connected to our spiritual living souls? Somehow I have spiritual living souls and it has something to do with the motion or the movement of the universe. If I can figure that out, then I can understand a great deal more about my spiritual component. Let me repeat, how is the stretching out of the universe, God doing it alone? One more time, he stretches out, his, he puts his universe in motion, he lays the spiritual foundations of the earth, he forms your and mine, all of our living souls, he's the creator of living souls, and all of those relate. And then... I have Christ himself, God himself, saving Israel. It is absolutely appropriate to say that God saves Israel alone. Christ says saves Israel alone. That's the same statement. 
Okay, so let's take this on. Remember I said I'd answer one question today, because I'm sick. If I'm not sick, I answer no questions. Okay, that was kind of a joke. I have this huge, vast universe. It's swirling around. It's in constant motion. What's the obvious question? Where's it going? Remember, you have two kinds of nothing, right? You have, you have to know your nothings. The difference between nothing and nothing. You heard me say that? I have nothing in the physical reality, and then I have nothing outside of the physical or pre-existing nothing. If this is the universe, I'm going to draw the universe. Here it is. When you see it like that, you notice that there's something on the outside of the universe. What's on the outside of the universe? Nothing. What's the difference between the nothing on the outside of the universe and the nothing on the inside of the universe? Do we have nothing inside the universe? What is the difference between nothing and nothing? That's the question. Which nothing came first? Did the nothing on the outside of the universe come before the nothing on the inside of the universe? The pre-existing nothing versus the nothing. Or what, if you remember, uh, void one and void zero, according to Edgar Andrews. I have this vast, huge, swirling, constant motion universe. It's moving. I'm now going to use my artistic ability to demonstrate its motion. So you can imagine this swirling universe. It's moving around. Where's it going? Is it just kind of spinning in place? Or is it moving? I want to know. If it's moving, how can I tell it's moving? Because it's surrounded by what? Is it, do I have a frame of reference? How can I tell if it's moving and going somewhere? Who can tell if it's going somewhere? Is it moving in a direction? Now, next question is, why is it moving? It's moving. Why? I'm going to ask this question. What is motion of the universe, or if you wish, what is the stretching of the universe? What does it prove? Because it's proving something. And that something has to do with your spiritual soul and the saving of Israel and the foundations of the earth. And if you were here recently, you know that I previously proposed that the universe is a mechanical device. I've said, in fact, that it's a machine. I even said that it is, has something to do with time because motion and time have a relative connection. But I am going to say today that, um, as well, it is a mechanical device, a machine. And it is obviously subject to mechanical laws, the laws of mechanics. Now, obviously, I have a geokinetic position. Put that on the board for you. And that's as opposed to absolute geocentricity. This is me, geokinetic. All that means is all that means is Earth move. And I'm uh, and that's just for today. I have many reasons for my view, uh, not the least of which is the question I just asked. I won't go into that today because as soon as I do, you should see the audience. Just boom, they hit the floor. So I can't do that. But uh, you need to know, people will ask me, so I needed to put that on there today. I just asked this question. What is the purpose of physical movement? The universe is a machine, a mechanical, physical device, and it's moving. 
What does its moving prove? So I ask the next question. What does movement prove? I move. You move. Your car moves. What does that prove when it's moving? Well, with respect to our bodies, my physical movement, your physical movement, those are relevatory of my mind, my spiritual mind that you can't see, that you can't communicate with. You have to have physical sounds, physical uh, uh, impacts in order to communicate with me. I'm going to move physically. I'm going to move air with my uh, with my voice. I'm going to do all kinds of things physically, and that's going to manifest, that's going to communicate my thoughts, your thoughts, our thoughts. That's what God says, by the way. I am spirit. I took on physical. I added physical form. I added the form of humanity for a lot of reasons. One sacrificial, one substitutionary, one to provide blood, one to provide flesh, right? All of that's physical for resurrection. But the other reason is is so that you could see me. I'm manifesting my mind to you. When he spoke, that's a physical act, right? Movement of air. Acoustics. There's a phone. Maybe it's another pizza delivery guy. Did we get the pizza? I need to know that. No, we did not get it. Gosh, we need better better ushers. We had a pizza in the building and we let it go. Yes. Okay. Those of you on the internet, if you sent us a pizza, we were not clever enough to procure it. So please send more. Okay. I submit that this mechanical device, this motion of the universe, this device that is in constant motion, is likewise revealing something that God is saying to us. It's revealing something of his mind, something that he is thinking. It's, he is the designer of it. He is the creator. He's trying to tell us something. So what is he trying to tell us by moving Setting in motion. He could have left it still. He didn't. He moved it. So what is he telling us? And how is this moving? How does this, what does this have to do with him alone saving Israel? Again, the by myselfs. He alone places his machine. He alone created his machine. He alone then placed his machine in motion. His physical only machine. Did you recognize that part? How much of the universe is physically physical only? That's important. Think about that. I'll get to it in a second. He alone made it. He alone is moving it. He alone forgives sin. He alone is life. He alone forms or makes immortal souls. He alone saves Israel. All those alones, there's many more, but those are just the few off the top of my head today. Isn't it interesting, at least I consider it interesting, that this unimaginable device, this huge, massive universe object, this massive mechanical device that is incredibly interconnected, it's all of it is physical matter, moving in concert, entangled and interdependent, except it has one component, one little piece, only one piece, one location. Think of it as a little tiny gear. Think of this huge, incredible machine, trillions and trillions of parts, There's one little tiny gear in the middle of that machine somewhere. In the mist. And that little tiny thing is the only place where there is spiritual material. Material is a bad phrase, isn't it? Because it's not material. The only place in this huge, gigantic, physical machine that has spiritual stuff. Stuff is a bad word. It's not stuff. The only place in this gigantic, interconnected, complicated machine where every part has a role, every part 
has a purpose. The only place that has spiritual is here. This is it. Trillions and trillions and trillions of pieces, one spiritual. One place that contains spiritual reality in all of the trillions of pieces. And there's trillions and trillions. That, as you know, is Fermi's paradox. How is it that life is only here? Why did he do that? It's obviously by what? He did it on purpose. He made a machine that is ridiculous in its scope and its complexity, and he put a spiritual piece in it. One place. The only place. Incredible physical machine has a spiritual component placed in it. It's the only place in all of the physical reality just here. What is proved by that? That's what he's trying to tell you. And what he proves by that proves to you that you will not perish to physical death. You are immortal. It also, because he made your spirit, and it also proves that he's going to save Israel by himself. And it also proves that whatever the foundations are, he did that by himself, too. And they won't move. Isn't that interesting? The foundations won't move. There's something inside of a moving machine that won't move. What's that mean? What is proved by movement? What is proved by life alone in the universe? The fact that life is alone here in the universe, revealed by God as a fact of life alone. That's going to make people mad. It's okay. I like it when they're mad. Why has God done it this way? Who else is involved in this, by the way? Consider that. That's next week anyway. As an aside, what else is designed this way? Is there anything else that is designed, an extraordinarily complex machine with a spiritual component in it? Yeah. It reminds you of Moses and the tabernacle, right? I think I was talking to Dana a couple weeks ago. You... Balaam would look down on top of Israel and he would see a gigantic tent, the tent of Moses, the tabernacle, where the Holy of Holies was. And every man of Israel would be in formation around it and they would all have a tallit over their head. And it, it mimicked, it was, it was like, if you will, so it looked like a huge tent surrounded by little tiny tents. And that's what Paul made. He didn't make tents, by the way. He made tallits, those um, head coverings. He was a Pharisee. He knew how to make them. So this universe has got this one little component in it, just like us. Obviously, the one who alone makes the living souls has taken the living souls and put them into a very complex physical machine. He's trying to tell you that. I did this. And he also, by the way, took all of his living souls and put them into one tiny piece inside of this immense physical construct. He has a reason. I'll give you a couple of clues so that you can solve this by yourself. Bill the cow called me this morning and said, you could have solved the talents, I'm sorry, the talents and the ability in three sentences in five minutes. I laughed just like you did because, yes, I could have. I don't do it because I know 
that you have to do it. And so this is, uh, we have a t-shirt now for sale. Uh, what is it, something about extending your, your what, how does it go, was it? Yes, increasing uh, the size of your beating one lecture at a time. That's our Flipside Community Channel. Uh, but I want you to think about this now. How many Edens have I had here on this piece of, of the physical universe? I've had two. One of them was a mineral Eden. And who was in charge of it? A spiritual being. He was the king of it, if you will. The other Eden is an organic Eden. Organic. And in charge of that was Adam, the second king of Eden. That's one of your clues. Another clue, of course, is identify the meaning of the foundations. What are they? Are they physical? They're not physical. So they're spiritual foundations. What are the spiritual foundations of the one place that the spiritual components are on? All of the spiritual components are here. There isn't a spiritual component any place else but here. Try this clue. Watch the time. Psalm 139. Very famous, 13 through 16. For you formed, God formed my inward parts, what David is saying. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. I am fearfully and wonderfully. Some Bibles will say awesomely. Wonderfully means unique, absolutely unique. You are distinct. There is no one like you. You are the only you that has ever been and will ever be. That's wonderfully. That's the obvious question. What's fearfully? Here's another question. Is fearfully physical or spiritual? That will help you solve a great deal. You are a living soul and a frame. You are a living soul and a substance. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the womb. Some of yours will say earth, but it is an idiom that means womb. His God's eyes saw us yet unformed. How did he do that? He sees us as we were and as we will be. Because he is the one who made and controls time. He alone makes and controls time. That, by the way, is an absolute truth. He's the only one who can control. No one else can and no one else should try. If you want to control somebody, you are putting yourself in a position that is already occupied. The job is taken. No one should ever want to control you because you have a controller. The only one who can control is the one who is pure love and goodness. We are not, look at the person sitting next to you, they are not pure love and they are not pure goodness. And then get a mirror, neither are you. Controlling, neither am I. Controlling requires pure love and goodness, omniscience, omnibenevolence. Okay, so there's your assignment. Figure out what the foundations of the earth are. Figure out what fearfully is. Wonderfully, I gave that away in case you think I didn't answer any questions. Try to understand the difference between the mineral and the organic Eden. And what is putting things in motion prove. I answered one of those today. Which one did I answer? All kinds of them, actually. There's two or three answers in there. 
those of you who made it to the very end. Congratulations. You can rise now and be dismissed.